All right. Um, so we we'll kind of jump around a little bit this morning. I, I think in the text I sent the 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 um the passages that we'll look at. Um, generally, what we want to just kind of look at this morning is how the, all four of the gospels catch capture really two different events. One is Jesus's predict, prediction of um, Peter's betrayal, and then where we're actually at in the study of walking through John in the bookmark is um, Peter's betrayal in John 18. Um, it starts at verse 15 and 18, and it's one of those stories that are kind of broke up a little bit, but it's it's 15 to 18 and 25 to 27 in John. Um, we could read that first if y'all want to um, kind of navigate to there, um, but um, last week we we spoke about Judas. Um, you know, we 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 did the uh, the shepherd. We we did the idea of the shepherds and the leaders. We looked at the vineyard. We looked at the shepherds out of Ezekiel thirty four. Um, we looked at out of ten about where um, um, the, where Jesus says they called them gods, and we kind of try to discern between what what he's talking about there. Um, but what we are kind kind of big picture trying to navigate is two trials. We're trying to recognize how um, one of the unique things about John is that in a lot of these sort of debates and um, confrontations that are between Jesus and the religious leaders or even just the common people and the Jews, um, that Jesus is coming to communicate to them that they have not been good tenants of the vineyard that God put them in. And that he's going to remove them essentially from office and that he is going to establish him as the good shepherd. As we saw in Ezekiel 34, there was this real crisis uh, in a sense where the people that God had put in place had, um, had, had not worried about the, the, the weak and the, and, and the sheep essentially, and was just taking care of themselves. And um, we talked about things about the intentions of God. Um, what was his intentions for the religious leaders? What was the intention of the temple, the house of God? And it was to make disciples and it was to make, you know, to offer forgiveness for mankind for their sins and to show them how to be reconciled with God. And all of these things, we gave an analogy at one time, if God set up a community and one of the things he set up a group to do the gas station and he went back to check on the gas station and he saw all the cars were parked on the side of the road and people were walking. Nobody was using, using the cars because the gas station tenants had decided to sell snowballs because that's what they really wanted to do. And, uh, and everybody's got snowballs, but no cars are moving and there's no need for red lights or roundabouts or anything like that. And, and, and so God has an intention and a purpose for people's lives and he sets them up to do a certain part of the body of Christ. And when we don't, uh, when we're not faithful, um, then we're like he said to the five and the three and the one talent at the five and three, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. But to the one, he said, you wicked and slothful servant away to weeping and gnashing and teeth. And um, so anyway, um, so we went through a lot of that and we're trying to come to these two trials and we're trying to see um, what does the trial of Jesus look like? And we'll really get into that when we, when we introduce Pilate. But what we have been looking at is that in a, in a, uh, in a, in a um, corrupt trial, you have to have somebody doing something corrupt and, and some of that root cause is betrayal. So we've kind of just been contrasting a little bit. We looked last week at, um, at Judas's uh, betrayal or denial of Jesus or selling Jesus out. And now we're looking at sort of a different side of the coin with Peter. Um, and, and we can look at, I, I mentioned God's intention. Um, we can look at their intention. You know, one of the things I thought about with Ju Judas is his um, 
Here, let me pause for a second. I gotta let that little dog in. That little dog is so little, and I'm afraid he's gonna get out. But luckily, he's he's saved for another day. <laughs> he can get underneath our fence, and I can't see him. So. But anyway, so, um, but Judas, when we look at his intent, um, you know, like, I don't see Judas, we don't have any text that paints a picture that Judas was like, you know, I'm so aggravated with Jesus taking John and James and Peter onto these little secret rendezvous and leaving me out, you know, there's really no text of where there was like an envy or animosity or something that way. I mean, I think it was just as simple as, Peter, uh, Judas looking for an opportunity um, to make some money or to get power and fame or whatever have you, and just kind of did something careless. You know, I don't see that the Bible points this just just um, that he had a bone to pick with Jesus or anything like that. And in the same way with Peter, um, I think he he meant well um, when we read this text this morning about about Jesus um, telling Peter that he's going to deny him. Um, I, I, I think Jesus, Peter really believed in, in, in many uh, different points that his, in his passion and his zeal, when he said, I'll never deny you, even in the, even if these others deny you, I won't deny you. I believe he believed that to the core of his being. So I think this experience of, of Peter, uh, denying him and Jesus predicting and him, him coming to that point that he says, man, I, I really denied Christ. I believe, um, Peter really had a love for Jesus. He really wanted to serve him well. And he just came up short, you know, for, for, for whatever reason. But, but I, but I, I just bring that back to the intentions. I, I don't think, you know, Peter, just like we can, sometimes we, we think I would never do something like that. And then we do that. And we're like, golly, I, I think we can relate to this, this scenario with Peter um, when we disappoint ourselves. Um, and I, I think in a sense, Judas was was like, why do I do dumb things like this? Money's not that amazing. It's not that awesome. I, I think Judas probably had the same thing. So let's try to capture intent um, when we read these. But let's read a few verses just to get the actual biblical text and not our opinions or ideas um, on the table. Um, so in John 18, 15, 18, we'll just read that real quick because that's that's the bookmark of where we're at. It says Simon Peter followed Jesus, and 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 the one thing I just cut out for for um, sake um, was the cutting off the ear, but but that's in the backdrop. Um, John does give Peter the credit for cutting off the ear, and um, I would just briefly speak about the cutting off the ear. Um, is that the that when Jesus heals the ear and tells his disciples stop it, he's also speaking to intention. He's like. The intention is not for us to fight in a physical form, that there's something else going on. There's a spiritual war, a spiritual fight. And to fight that fight, I have to be betrayed and this kind of thing. Um, but but in verse 15 of John 18, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Who do y'all think the other disciple was? John. Okay, I think that's the logical answer, but. Um, since the disciple was known to the high priest, 
Um, so I think that's kind of interesting in status. Probably all, you know, I think in one speculation, all the 12 disciples were not known by the high priest, but some of them from their background and their culture had a, um, a little bit um, better relationship, you know, there. But since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. So there would have been some sense of, of, of it's normal for this guy to be here. Uh, but they would have been scrutinizing some of the people and saying, you know, let's not just let anybody come in here. Maybe there's someone on Jesus's side or whatever. So in verse 16, it says, but Peter stood outside at the door. So for some reason, it wasn't easy, easy for Peter to come in. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door. So there's three places that we're looking at here. We're looking at kind of the gate or the or, you know, some kind of door um, where they where the, where the bouncer is making sure everybody got their ID or whatever. You know, there's some kind of identification process. They're not just letting anybody come in the temple. So there's the gate and the courtyard. Um, and so at this point, um, the way John tells the scene, he says, uh, so the other disciple who was known at the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. So this this um, status that this other disciple that we would suggest we would we would speculate that that's John had a relationship with the high priest and because of that relationship with the high priest he was able to go to the 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 servant at the door and and get Peter in in to this so now John and Peter are there with Jesus in this status part of the trial coming to the um, to Ananias's house um, in verse seventeen. Um, um, in verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not, are not one of these man's disciples. Are you now? I don't know. Um, I know Paul is usually looking at the King James. How does, how does your verse 17 in the King James or the NIV say that? It says, then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? And he saith, I am not. Okay. And so I just think that, I think for me, in my brain, I read that phrase um, different. Um, you know, like I could read it different than what it actually says, but it says, you also, it sounds like when he says, you also are, like I always hear it, the way I hear it is you also are one of them. But he, but it's actually a question. Like it's, to me, I read it as accusatory, like you're one of those, you know? But but it's it's a question. You also are not one of these men's disciples, are you? And I so I think hypothetically, she's it's more like I haven't seen you before. Are you one of the disciples? I don't I don't know that it's necessarily as accusatory. It's just in order to get in here, in order to be here in this scene in this setting, you're going to have to say you're not on team Jesus. And, and so, you know, I don't know. I've always read it as there was like, you, you, you know, but it, it seems like for me, if I look at it closely, that it's more of a hinting to it. And Peter is just denying it, um, you know, whichever way. Uh, but, 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 but so anyway, you are also not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he says, I am not. And, 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 and what's important, whether, whatever intensity you put on that, if you see, 
Peter as doing a light intensity or great intensity. You see the accusation of him being a disciple as, as, as light or heavy. Um, we're leading to the point that Jesus said that he would deny him three times. And Peter said, absolutely. I will not do that. And even if this is a real light, like I'm really not one of them, you know, it's still a denial, you know? Um, and it, it still, would fulfill the prophecy or, or the prediction that Jesus said that you would deny me three times. Um, so verse 18, now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming themselves. So we know that this was kind of a cold situation. Um, you know, they're warming themselves by the fire. So we have this background. There's this interest gate. There's this making sure that Jesus's followers are, are kind of not with them. And if they are, let's let's um, let's separate them and let's deal with them, too. So you got to figure the sense that if Peter would have said or John would have made it clear that they were one of the disciples, they might have been on the other sides of the cross um, with with Jesus, too. Um, they would have probably, you know, accused them also. Um, so skipping over 19 to uh, 24, we'll pick that up um, the, the next next um, time we get together. But uh, in 25, he says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself with just a continuation of what we just finished. So they said to him, so this would be the second denial. It's setting the scene for the second denial. So they said to him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? You know, like I said, for the ESV is what I'm reading. The wording's a little bit weird, but 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 uh, you are also not one of his disciples, are you? So there's there's the scene, and he denied it and said, "I am not," which was similar to the to the other. I am not as the other denial, and um, in verse 26, one of the servants of his high priest of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. So as we get to this third one in John, what John does different is he brings something more descriptive where the other one's a little bit more general. And the descriptive thing that he brings here is that, that, that one of the people that, that initiated one of the denials the or the final in this, this, um, account the final denial of of the third denial of of jesus was one of the family members of the one that peter cut his ear off so we have some descriptives there um some of the other ones when it when it gets after the three denials the fourth item that you have is is um is, is peter's response and um and 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 here he doesn't capture much about peter's response he just says at once the rooster crowed. So um, the other ones say that that Peter um, weeped bitterly. So um, John adds a little bit of descriptive. And, and in general, Matthew and um, Mark in the Gospels and all the accounts, Matthew and Mark are usually pretty close to saying things the same thing. Mark is a little bit more brief sometimes and a little bit, tad bit a little bit emotional sometimes, where, uh, where Luke, can veer from Matthew and Mark a little bit and kind of add a different twist to it. And so hopefully we'll look at that in just a second. But before I start opening it up to you guys, let's just look at um, 
go to Matthew 26, 30 and 35, just to kind of fill out this story. Um, and then we'll look at some of the differences and unpack it a little bit more. Um, in, in, in Matthew 26, 30, it says, um, and, and I don't know if this has been y'all's experience, but I found it to be common here over the last five years or so. It's when people do the Lord's Supper, usually someone will mention that, um, that after they did the Lord's Supper, they sang a song. Sometimes that's how they'll end the Lord's Supper and do a little song or something. So that's where we're at in verse 30 is, is he has instituted the Lord's Supper. And he says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So, so there's the Lord's Supper, there's the singing the song, there's going in the Mount of Olives, and that's where um, well, essentially um, he'll be betrayed. Um, so 31 picks up with, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. So I was thinking about like two prophecies, and if you just want to study Old Testament and you want to... Um, sort of anchor in on something that that um that proves jesus as the messiah because if if you know jesus came to fulfill old testament or the messiah would come to fulfill old testament prophecies and so if jesus makes a prophecy or he doesn't fulfill a prophecy the, this all would be uh if, if he makes a prophecy that's not fulfilled then that could make him as a false prophet um and if he doesn't fulfill the prophecies that that were made for the Messiah that can make him not the Messiah. And so these things are somewhat important for the evidence of was Christ the Messiah. And so here you, you, you've got what he said about Peter or fixing to say about Peter. Um, but you also have this, this idea that, that, that in verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. And so if you research that text, that was a prophecy that that would happen. Um, that, in other words, that 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 this was a script that was written by God long ago, and now it's being carried out. And the fact that now it's being carried out is evidence that Jesus is His one. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so um, He says that for it is written, I will. And this is the text and where you can find the Old Testament text. So this is what he's quoting for. It is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So this goes back to this sheep and shepherd that we addressed in John 10. We ingested Ezekiel 34. Um, and, and the Messiah was going to be of this nature. He was going to come and be the good shepherd. He was going to, you know, but but this but but this good shepherd would be would be stricken, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. This is part of the game plan. Um, it's one of those things that we that that the disciples would have said. This doesn't seem right. This isn't what I was expecting. Uh, many of us walk through days in our Christian life where we wonder what God's doing or why He's doing it that way. But He knows best, and He's got a bigger plan than we do. So in verse thirty-two, He says, "But after I am raised up." I will go before you to Galilee. This is a, a fun verse to just bookmark because what's interesting is when we get to the resurrection, nobody is looking for him in Galilee. No one says, oh, no problem. He died, been crucified, buried. You know, nobody is like, 
no big deal. He said three days. Uh, let's just take a, a break. Three days, he'll be back. We'll be back on business. And then no one is like cruising up to Galley. He said he'd be in Galley somewhere. Like when they were looking for him after the feed of the 5,000, nobody's doing that. And so these were words that he spoke that, that, that somewhere they were in the, in the subconscious and maybe they remembered he said it at some point, but not, they weren't, they weren't so relevant in the conscience at this point that they're like looking for this to happen. And so, so 33 is where we kind of wrapping up with Peter as our main, main guy this morning, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I mean, have you ever made a rash or a, a, a statement like that where you like maybe to your wife or your kids or something, I'll never leave you or, or I love you like crazy or, you know, daddy is so worried. You know, you just make these passionate, uh, what, what, what do we used to say? You're, you're writing a check, your, your butt can't cash or something like that. But like, you're just making these bold claims. And, uh, and I don't think Peter really even realizes he's doing that yet. I think he's speaking from his heart. I think he really intends to um, be there for the Messiah and, and this kind of thing. In 34, Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It seems like possibly Peter's like, I'm your man. And, and like when you have this person you really care about and you say, I love you so much. I'm with you wherever you go. I'm going. And they look and they say, yeah, before the night's over, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to be acting like you don't even know me, you know, like what a, what a turn of events. Like how would your, if your favorite person, if you're, you're telling them you, you mean so much to me. And then they turn around and say, ah, you, you, you won't even know my name by the end of the day, you know, um, you know, and, and so Peter comes back with that and says to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. I mean, that's about as, as, um, as you know, that's about as, as much of an argument, a comeback argument of trying to convince, um, Jesus of his love and, and devotion to him that you could make. And all the disciples said the same. So I think we're just talking about Peter here. So this phrase and all the disciples said the same. Is not really relevant for our focus on P Peter, but it is relevant to the the prophecy that we're not specifically spending a lot of time on. But 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 back up there when it says um, in thirty one, then Jesus said to them, "You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered." So now, if that prophecy has to be fulfilled, then these things have to happen. And, and what's interesting is in this phrase, and all the disciples said the same, they're all competing with Peter for this dying devotion. So we might highlight Peter, but all of them are doing the same, you know, same thing. Now we would assume at this point, Judas is not with them. So it would be the 11, but they're all saying we will not de deny him. And, um, so anyway, um, so, um, going back to, to this let, let's look at real quick on this because i think what's interesting is luke's account if we uh let me read quickly mark so that we don't skip over but mark just in the same line of thing mark 14 26 31 just let me read that and i want to get to luke and we'll, we'll we'll open up with some discussion and and when he 
in Mark's account of uh, 1426, he says, and when he they had sung a, sung a song, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, this is an ad or a unique to Mark is that he says the rooster crow, crow, will crow twice. None of the other ones do that. Just talk about the rooster crowing. You will deny me three times. But he said em, empathetically, if you must die, I will. If, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. So the, the, the Mark and Matthew was very close to one another. So looking at Luke 22, real quick, um, 22, 31 to 34, so just four verses, it says in 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me now i think that this adds something fairly significant that matthew and mark didn't add um, where he says satan has demanded you that he might sift you like wheat but i have prayed for you that that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers now, this opens something to the spiritual realm that the other ones do not. So when we are trying to wrestle through, why did he do this? Or why do we do this? Sometimes we don't see what's going on in the spiritual realm. But, but, but if you put these two together and you see Peter trying so hard to convince Jesus that this is not going to happen, but Jesus knows you know, that Satan, what Satan is going to do to Peter, um, you know, all of this starts to paint the fuller picture and makes more sense. And so um, just quickly um, to finish out the fourth witness of that in John 13, 36 to 38, it says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Um, this was what we call the, um, um, what did I call that? The um, a little while conspiracy type deal where he was using that language with both the Jews and his disciples. And he and and Peter's responding to this. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him where I'm going. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow. Uh, will not crow till you have denied me three times. So there again, it's just this devotion towards Jesus, giving the best that he has to offer. And Jesus saying, you're going to deny me and um, going against the grain of that. So that sets the scene. Um, and let me just catch one more on the um, back to where, where we're, where we're unpacking this morning is so, um, in Matthew, it starts in Matthew 26, 69, um, and it says, now Peter was outside in the courtyard. So getting back to our text this morning, 
you have the courtyard and you have the gate or the entrance. And um, so now Peter was outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, so to me, this seems like, like it seems like you would go from the entrance to the courtyard. And so there's a little bit of variety there. Um, but but this kind of shows like he's at the courtyard and he comes back to the entrance. But in 71, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystander. So most of the accounts, when he's at the entrance, there's bystanders there. Um, so he said, another servant girl saw him and said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied um, it with an oath. I do not know the man. And um, and then 73 says, after a little while, and you would su assume that, that after this denial, maybe he's staying in the same place. And these same bystanders that are being mentioned um, previously are the bystanders that now become the accusers. And he says, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. And um, and then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Um, and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so here we're adding something in the final part. Um, so they do not, you know, Matthew does not say anything about, about the family member of the ear that was cut off being one of the accusers. Um, could have been one of these servant girls or so, but, but it says that there was a servant girl at the entrance. Uh, uh, there was a servant girl in the courtyard there was a servant girl at the entrance with some bystanders and as some time passed some bystanders and and that that summed up the three but it also speaks about um the um the end result that peter remembered that the saying of jesus um and and he went out and wept bitterly and um just trying to paint these distinctions let me just hit one more in and and um and the next one um mark because he's going to say, like, a lot of times we have this idea that Jesus looked at Peter. And I believe this is where it, it comes um, here. But but real quick, Mark is usually a lot like Matthew. So let's see if that's true here. And as Peter in, in uh, Mark, um, Mark 14, 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing him. Peter warming himself, she looked at him, said, you are one of the Nazarenes of Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And when he went out to the gateway, so, so he was in the courtyard, and now he's going to the, the entrance or the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And this member, if you remember, Mark said he, he's going to crow twice. So he captures this here, too. Um, like in, in the denial that we read, he said he'll crow twice. So Mark captures this idea that too. He's the only one that does that. And he says, um, and when he went in the gateway, the rooster crowed. So that'd be the first time. And the servant saw him and began 
again to say to the bystanders, so there's now we have this servant girl bystanders I'm seeing. This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilee. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you do, will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And so let's do the last one, because apparently that ain't what I, what I was looking for there. It'll be here in Luke. So you can see that Matthew and Mark was very similar, but they both did not include the family member of the one whose ear, ear was cut off. But they also added, in a sense, Peter's response that he went out and and, and weeped bitterly. Um, so here's the last one um, in, in 22, Luke 22, 54. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him said, this man also was with him. So this is kind of adding that that by the fire, fire and the light, she starts looking at him. So that's a little bit dynamic that the other ones didn't. Um, and uh, let's see, where we're at. 57. And he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilee. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So this is something, a perspective that Luke adds that none of the other ones did. Um, is that the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter, um, that their eyes met. And I've heard people, you know, speak speak to that. Um, so I think it's interesting just to be aware that only Luke's gospel captures that. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will, de you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Um I'll just make this final statement of this is where it says, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord. You have to, you know, you have to imagine that when, when Jesus told him that you were going to deny him, that that kind of would have stuck with you. And you would have kind of been like, that's crazy. I'm never going to do that. So that moment had to be unique when he realized when all that came together and he realized, wow, that, that is true. Well, um, my, my main goal here was that we covered all this text. I know it took longer than, than it always takes longer than I hope it would. But uh, so, so I'm going to just kind of open it up, you know, to you guys to walk through that, um, ask, you know, any questions you want to ask or make any statements. Um, you know, what, we'll, we'll just start off. What, what, what are you thinking about? What's, what's on top of your mind or if you did any studying and you want to bring something interesting. Go ahead. Hello. First, Mr. Wayne. Like I told you in text, I've been anxious for this moment to uh, to tell you something that has been in my mind. Um, you know, I I just 
automatically had it figured like I believe most people did. But uh, when it come time to offer his life along with Jesus, um, but Peter got, you know, they realized that he didn't have the strength to, to die with him. Um, you know, I often say, I want to, if God decides that I should be martyred for, for Jesus, I hope to stand up like that girl that did in the church some years back that a gunman come into the church and killed everybody that wouldn't deny Christ. I said, but you know, Jesus, I pray, you know, you'll be with me and, and strengthen me so that I can welcomely have the guy shoot me dead. Well, I, well, I proposed that I, you know, that while I do not deny you. So I figured it was pretty simple like that. But then you led us to the scripture that Jesus said, I will pray for you because Satan has tried to, Satan is coming on to you with an attack to try to get you um, away from me. And uh, I realized that, you know, this was uh, the purpose of the story. One of the main purposes of the story was to make people realize that no matter how dedicated you feel to Christ, Satan is going to try to make you say, oh, come on, he wasn't a child of God. I'll oh, come in. He wasn't from heaven. I'll oh, come in. He, well, he ain't worth dying for. And, and we're going to face that trial in our own hearts. And I thought that was a whole new look at things that, that Peter actually, actually lost his zeal for Christ temporarily because he didn't want, didn't feel worth, it was worth dying for. And uh, that's something I, I think about Satan's power to try to convince us that Jesus is not worth dying for. So that gives you a, a, a different light. Jesus had to actually pray for him. Yeah. I think a thread that's interesting in, in, in the relation to this is if you're looking at Matthew or Mark's um, um, unpacking of the story is, is Jesus, when he went to that, that it said they, he, he instituted the Lord's supper and they said a prayer and they went out to the garden of Gethsemane. Um, that is where he would have, have had the, the prayer and the temptation and the weight and him say, you know, um, it, this cup can pass me, but not my will, your will. Um, at that point, back to what you're saying about Peter is, is one of them captures it as that a, a spirit of slumber came upon them, but they're sleeping. Right. And so sometimes you could read that story and say, these were a bunch of careless yahoos that just fell asleep on Jesus in his, in his most crucial, you know, moment in time. But I don't think that's the case. I think just like we have the spiritual revealed that Satan is going to sift Peter as wheat, uh, I think in the same way there was a spirit of darkness that put them to you know to sleep, and he was encouraging them to overcome that was was by prayer. Um, but I don't think I think we would have been if we'd have been there. You know, like we we have the idea that that if we'd have been there, we wouldn't have fell asleep because we love Jesus more. Um, I think it was the sovereign will of God for them you know, for, for Jesus to be left alone, just him and God to um, deal with. But I think that's a, I think that's interesting. John navigates through all the details a little bit different, but I think that's interesting that in a plain reading of the book of Matthew or Mark, you would have just read that, you know, that would have been part, you read that and then Judas comes to betray him. So what else, um, Jeff, you got any thoughts? Yeah. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, when you were reading through uh, Jesus talking about how Peter was going to deny him, like Peter was kind of known for his courage and he was kind of known for his boldness. And, 
you know, the one that would always step up and step out and speak up. Uh, and, and, you know, Jesus is basically telling, like you said, and you're going to act like you don't even know me. And so, um, you know, how humbling is that, that, that what you're known for, uh, you're not even at the, at the moment when it counts the most, you're not going to step up and, and be courageous and bold. And, um, you know, I know you guys all know the story after Pentecost, uh, we see Peter stepping into a much different level of boldness. And when he preaches and, you know, all these people are getting saved and, and just the difference in the Holy Spirit within you, um, it would, what a difference that makes. But yeah, uh, yeah that, that kind of stood out to me is that if, if you thought anybody wasn't going to deny Christ and step up and cut an ear off, it was going to be Peter, but he, he was the one that uh, denying Christ. Yeah. And, and I think the word witness, like one thing, if you, if you realize that all of this has the backdrop of a trial, um, in a, in a normal court, um, setting, you would have a, um, you would have the defense would call witnesses and the prosecution would call witnesses. And so as we watch the trial, you're going to see in some of the accounts that it says they couldn't find any two witnesses that agreed against what Jesus had done. They were having a, the, the prosecution was having a hard time putting their case together. But in the same aspect, um, the witnesses like John or Peter or the rest of the disciples or, or anyone that Jesus ministered to, they weren't stepping forward either. And, but all of this was, was sovereign. Um, so this very idea that Peter is, is, is putting on display that I have a desire to be faithful to you and him not being able to be faithful would have been across the board. It would have been with the remainder of the of the eleven disciples. It would have been the remainder of the people that he like. There was no just random person that he healed or anything stepping up. Of course, this was done in the dark of the night. So, so maybe you can speculate that if it had been done in the day, they would have done that. But whatever the case, you see the sovereign hand of of God working to bring Christ to the cross. You know, and and nothing was going to stop that. You know, um, the only person that you see that really had the power to stop it was Jesus. And he willingly laid his life down. No one took. Yeah. And Hebrews, Hebrews, he said that it was the joy that was set before me. You know, he was, in a sense, looking forward to the cross, even though he knew the agony and pain that he was going to suffer. It was something that he counted as joy to look forward to. Uh, so what do you think, Mr. Shane? You thought? The one thing I thought was interesting, it, it all three or four counts, um, it doesn't sound like they're that close to Jesus uh, with, the, with the third denial. But I know Luke says um, that the Lord turned to him whenever he denied him. And just imagine that piercing, um, the pierce. I mean, he wept. All, all the counts say he wept bitterly, but that one, um, you know, just... Can you imagine the, the piercing he must have felt knowing that, man, he told me this and I did it regardless. I, I never thought I'd have did it and I did it anyway. Um, so they were obviously close to Jesus during that that time period. He was trailing behind. I always yeah. thought that was, um, it was just, man, it's, it's, I couldn't imagine. 
Yeah. And that's what, that's, what's interesting what you're saying. So, so, you know, when, when he says he looked at him, then that gives you this idea that they were close and they were actually seeing how they were handling Jesus, but no one, there's no other reference of that that's happening. And so you, you know, one sense seemed like Jesus is in a closed door. So, you know, it just, it's just interesting to think, you know, through, through that, you know, cause I, I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't know in any, like I, in no way should we 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 promote the idea that scripture contra- contradicts itself. That's that's not going to benefit any of us. And and I'm not just trying to to defend the Bible or Jesus. I just know that that's the the way it is. But but what what I what I do think is important is that like when someone says, "Well, Luke said he looked at him." Well, the other ones don't. So you have to deal with that. So it at least moderates. Um. It, it at least moderates how you will run away with certain scriptures. And I think that's where we do damage to scriptures is we add stuff to the scriptures that it doesn't necessarily conclusively say. And, um, and I think that's where we damage. And, and, and when we can realize that we don't have to, because what Peter's doing here, when he says, um, even if all the other ones deny you, um, I will not. Or when he pulls out the sword and says, I'll be the first to cut an ear off, you know, what God is teaching us is that he doesn't need our zeal. He don't need us using our sword to cut somebody's ear off. He don't need our loud mouth, you know, you know, trying to convince people with our, our voice that like what he wants to get done, he can get done in his timing with his words. And, and, and so I, I think, you know, when you see these differences, what it, what it for me does is, is as I, as I wrestle through, you know, reconciling and and it's like, if you will not try to reconcile it, what does it say about your desire to really know God's word? You know, like, will you take these ideas and come to the Lord and say, Lord, what does this mean? Why does, this one say this and this one says that, or why did you exclude this on this one and that one? And just find that peace that the Holy Spirit can give you about, you know, what's the truth. And sometimes God holds us in that tension that we don't know what's what's next. But but the question is, when you are a witness to God, do you represent what the word says or do you represent your uh, your commentary? your version of what you, what you think it is. I've seen people witness before and when they witness to people, they completely give their commentary and their view of who they think Jesus is. And they never go to the scripture and they never show the person. And, and what, what I would challenge you to think is when you're witnessing to someone, what has a greater impact, um, your passionate plea or when you show them in the thoughtive book, of the Bible, what God says about them. Like, it's almost like if I took you and I took a legal document and I explained to you, I don't know anything about your retirement or benefits you could have and save money on your house, like you're in real estate or something. If I showed you a legal document and said, the Senate passed this clause because this clause, you can go to so-and-so and tell them you want to you want to apply this clause to your your, your house. And you can make this amount of money. That's different than you just saying, "Hey, man, you ought to do it." Everybody's doing it, and and that's 
that's what we do when we abandon God's word at times. So anyway, a little tainted there. I'm sorry. Paul, what you think, man? I just think it's interesting. What I like to think about is, is who who the, the four author, authors were. And starting with John, we're all pretty sure that he was actually there. Yeah. So that's one, one caveat that he was there. And he he obviously came from a probably a wealthy family. You know, some theologians think that his father probably owned several boats, maybe a little small fleet. And so they were probably wealthy sons of thunder, him and his brother. So he was he was there. He probably knew the servant girls a little bit. And uh so you take that into account and then you uh and then Peter was there, and then you so we associate although Mark traveled with Barnabas and, and Paul. He's really kind of known for being at, at Peter's side a lot. So he probably heard a lot of first-hand accounts from Peter himself. So you take that account. And then some people actually believe that the in Mark's version, where during the arrest, uh, a youthful young man, his robe came off, he fled naked. A lot of people believe that that's actually Mark that that was okay. there at the arrest scene. Um, and then, of course, uh, Matthew was probably there at the arrest and fled. And then reunited with everybody within a couple hours at some someone's home or something, and we're we're talking about it pretty soon after. And then you have, um, you know, Luke that that wasn't there at all, but um, and really was more of an associate of Paul. But he does say at the beginning of his gospel that he researched everything very well before he wrote it. So. I think it's you know, kind of just kind of look at the different characters that are actually writing it as you look at the accounts and you know it all basically comes together close enough to know that it's the truth like like the you know some people probably say well it doesn't say this in this gospel but it's a little bit different this one so you know an atheist or something would probably use that against us but it's 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 close enough where where you, where you know that it that it, that it is real because it's coming from four different accounts so I just think that's interesting to think of the people that actually wrote it where they were chronologically to the actual event happening and, or who they were around. It was actually there and stuff like that. So, See, I think, that's kind of interesting. I think when you just talking about focusing in on John and Peter and their, their responses, because we talk, we're focusing on Peter and how he responded, but like you're bringing to the attention, John was there too. If that, if that's the, at least one other disciples there, we think we're, we're giving it John the credit for it. But, but you also, in that same writing in the Gospel of John, is the idea that when they go to the tomb, John kind of communicates that he was faster runner than Peter, but he didn't go in and Peter Peter went into the tomb and that kind of thing. So there's sort of a com competition, it seems like, potentially between John and Peter. But but where what was John thinking when Peter's like, I will not deny you even if I have to die? die? And like, you know, what happens from the cutting of the ear off to the, to the, like, they're following Jesus going to a, a corrupt trial. You know, at what point does his people like, we'll, we'll get to Pilate and, and Pilate will be questioning Jesus. And he says, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my people would rise up and they would, they would fight uh, or defend. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's interesting to think like, why, why doesn't, why did not John, you know, if John was there, you know, we say he was scattered, 
And then what is this prophecy that we read earlier where he says the shepherd would be struck but the, and the sheep will be scattered and that this is to fill. And, and then the other prophecy we read, I think last week, that none will be lost. Um, that Jesus, even when he was being captured, by them not being captured, he was being a good shepherd and, def and defending them. Um, so, you know, I, I think for me, the piece I find is that it just wasn't God's will for them to rise up and fight. Um, what, was, what was the order? I, I think I've always heard that Mark was believed to be the earliest gospel written. Did y'all know what who what kind of order? It was Luke the last one written? Or was one of the other ones the last one written? Do y'all remember? Probably the last one. Luke was probably the last one. I think I'm John thinking it probably was. Huh? I think John was the last one. I think the other three. John was the last one. Okay. I'll research it and send us out something on some dates if we can find something. Any other thoughts, Jeff? We got, let's see, two minutes. So, um, what do you, I mean, just, just this going through all four gospel, was that helpful for anyone? Um, enjoyed that, not enjoyed it or what? Yeah, hey, I was going to say, I think it is helpful. Um, it kind of paint, paints the full picture. Each author kind of gives different details of the scene. And uh, usually if it's mentioned in all four Gospels, it's a pretty important account. Important, pretty important for us to kind of dive into. And not, not that any stories are less than others, but the fact that it's in all four and each of the writers has, has an account. Um, I like how I like to harmonize them, you know, and, and there's different. Bible stories you can do that with with the resurrection is an important one. Uh, but this leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection uh, just gives us that fullness, that that full picture. Right. And, the, and and the fact that there are little differences in them really, to me, make it more real, because if each one of these was the exact same story, then that would be uh, you'd be suspicious of that. Like, but since they are slightly different versions of the same story, to me, that just legitimizes it even more this is written by four different people yeah well and, and delving into it when it helps when for me when, when i think i understand it and put put my my understanding to an assumption oh yeah i know i know what what the purpose of Jesus, uh, peter's denial was and then i get a new perspective like i said the new perspective of the fact that jesus had to pray against satan for him um that uh it gives me another reason why God wants his Peter's story in the Bible, because we can all fall short if we're not careful and, and we need the prayer of Jesus with us to, to enhance our faith. You know? yeah. Right. And uh, I noted in my Bible when that verse about when Jesus tells Peter that Satan has asked, it sifts you like wheat. And that's, that reminds me in the old Testament when, when in the book of Job were, were, Satan basically asked God that he wants to basically, you know, sift Job like wheat as well. You know, that's almost like a foretelling, you know, like a lot of the Old Testament is shadows of the New Testament or. Um, so a lot of that, you know, points toward what's happening here. Same thing that happened to Job in the Old Testament. And I think you know, that's, in a a, that's a good example. Job come to my mind, too, because. uh, uh uh, God, the our Father allowed Satan to do this trial, this sifting, 
for Job so that Job could prove himself worthy of it. But uh, um, you don't think about the fact that Jesus prayed that maybe that God, that God would, uh, that Satan would not be allowed to, to torment Peter because Jesus knew how important Peter's mission was, you know. Yeah. Uh, this gives you something to think about. And, and we don't really know what was on Peter's heart. It seems like the last time he denied, he was really convincing that he, no, I am not following Jesus, never have, never will. It's just, he really took a dive, but then when he met Jesus's eyes, he really felt that much worse, that much more guilty about it. So I think in, in doing this, and in, in, in there's some some things we're trying to accomplish through walking through this this way, but um, but but I would say two things is um, two two Bible Bible skills that I think that in our church, you know, in church today we don't we don't exercise as is one reconciling these stories um, will help us in making a defense when someone comes to you and says the Bible says this here and that and it just kind of puts you where you have to deal with some variety and um, seek God for it and um, look at the the intent because we know God's intents are are right. And um, so sometimes we we read this intent and that intent and we just maybe we just misunderstand it or something. So it 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 forces us to read the text, kind of slow our roll a little bit, not just jump to conclusions, but to hold the text before the Lord and just just kind of find the peace about it. But I think the other thing that we just briefly discussed that um, I would like to once we finish, John, possibly venture into this a little bit is uh, one of the things with like this stuff happening in Israel. Um, and, and initially on October 7th, I started thinking about this when this happened is, so you have like 1500 people or so that died in Israel and then, you know, had a lot die in Palestine. And it's my assumption that probably at least 80% or more of those people probably didn't know the Lord and are perishing in hell today on, on possibly both sides. And so when you ask yourself, what does the Muslim believe about God? What does the Jew believe about God? Um, ultimately, do they believe Jesus is the Messiah? And and when you make the case that Jesus is the Messiah, one of the, the cases that as Western American Christians, we have the least ability to talk about um, if we were talking to a Jew or a Muslim is really defining who Christ is in terms of being the Messiah and pointing to actual scriptural prophecies that were prophesied that the Messiah would fulfill and that he actually did. And so we touched on some of those, that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep. And that's a, that's a prediction, a prophecy from the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying he fulfilled it here. And then how would you deny that? You know, so, um, so when Jesus quotes scripture um, and, and refers back to Old Testament scripture and says this is to fulfill it, or if the apostles say this is to fulfill the scripture, we come across that in our plain, plain reading of the Bible at times, and we just overlook it. And so what I would encourage you this morning, and in maybe the next six months as we study together, is that when we come across a passage that whether apostle or Jesus says, this is to fulfill this particular scripture that we explore that, that we look at that because um, I had a guy point out to me and specifically what he pointed out to me is when Peter in acts two preached 
and it says the sons and fathers and daughters will have dreams and visions. You can go back and read it. And he said his, his, his all he assumed to me is he said, he was like, Dennis, isn't this prophecy? Is it Peter and this anointing of the Holy Spirit saying this prophecy of Joel is being fulfilled right now in this? And so what a lot of charismatics have done is taken that prophecy and they said they 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 speak it as being prophesied being fulfilled um either now or are in the close future and so what his question was is if peter said it was fulfilled then why are other people first of all not bringing any attention when they use that verse they're not bringing any attention that peter said it was fulfilled in acts 2 but they're trying to say that it's going to be fulfilled in our day and our time 2000 years later. And, um, and I just thought that was an interesting to one to look at, but, but, but let's look at all of them. If a, if, if, if we believe that the foundation that Jesus laid as the chief cornerstone and complete it with the apostles, if we believe that's significant, because the the new testament gives us uh, criteria for elders and pastors but it doesn't give us criteria for future prophets and apostles and so if the apostles were essentially a means to lay a foundation then when peter or paul or or or, or john says this was fulfilled this was um um uh, this fulfills this particular Old Testament scripture. And when you read at the end of Luke 24, where it says he 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 took them along between the resurrection and the ascension, he took them along and he he showed them what the scriptures, um, you know, how they speak to him. So this idea, there would have been no other more qualified than the apostles. And then God editing the Bible allows that to come in. So that's gotta have some weight. And I think we don't treat that as it has weight. So like I said, I'd, I'd like to walk through some of those things where they use scripture and say, this fulfills it. And then how that specifically um, uh, solidifies the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And so when we're trying to convert, if there's a, a Muslim that's fighting for the land of Israel and says it's theirs, and they don't really know the, 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 the Hebrew God and, and his Messiah, then they're in trouble. And, and if it's a Jew that doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, they're in trouble. And so if these are the last days or so, I think that's an important thing that those have been trusted with the grace of God to be able to somewhat uh, make a case for God's people, the Jews, if that's what you want to call them, or for the enemies of God's people, the Muslims, if that. So it's just something... Hopefully we'll pursue, but but I think it's also principles of why this trial is so corrupt. Because one, we're looking at two trials. One is corrupt, and it's it's man accusing God of wrongdoing, and the other one is not corrupt. It's completely pure, and it's God accusing man of wrongdoing. And 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 God's trial makes us all guilty, but He also gives us the hand of mercy through what Christ did for forgiveness and reconciliation. So any final thoughts? Um, I know we went eight minutes over here. Uh, Paul, you want to close us in prayer? 
Father God, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, and we praise you, Lord, and uh, Lord, you're just an awesome God, Lord, and thank you for uh, giving Dennis a heart to uh, lead and, and teach. Uh, thank you for uh, bringing us together, Lord, to um, hunger and thirst for your word, Lord, and, and learn more about you, Lord. Lord, I pray for these men and their families, Lord, put a hedge of protection around them, Lord, and just and bless and watch over them, Lord, and as we each go to our own uh, worship services, Lord, I ask you just to put an anointing on the, on the pastor that brings the message, Lord, and put an anointing on all of us in the in the congregations, Lord, as we receive your word, Lord. Uh, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord, and we ask all these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. 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 You guys have a great week. A week. Are we uh yep. taking next week off or are we going to be meeting? Um, I'm going to send out a text to see what everybody wants to do. I was going to do the, the, you know, for me, it, it could be a normal morning. Um, We don't do Christmas Eve stuff to the, to the end, but it just depends on if people want to meet or not. Um, So we'll just see if we got enough to do a group. We will. If, if not, um, we'll, we'll put it off. So. Y'all be thinking about that, and okay. I'll send out a text about Thursday, and we'll decide, make a decision then. Okay. All right.